Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's minor podcast. I'm Steve Seifer, and this week I'm joined by Ken Lavin and Thomas Henderson. So how are you boys doing this week? Good, we're doing well. How are you doing this week? I'm doing good, thank you. So to start with Promotic Centroid, I think this is, a, this is a good one this week. And on this date, back in 1836, <laughs> the aptly named Convention of 1836 took place. And basically, the result of that was that um, representatives from various different towns and settlements in Texas wanted to declare their independence from Mexico. And then, ironically, a couple of years later, in 1845, same date, different year, Congress delivered a uh, bill to President John Taylor that approved the annexation of Texas. So it officially uh, made Texas a state. So in honor of our imperialism here, what <laughs> Texan major leaguer are we going to promote, extend, or trade? Mm. As you guys know, as as everyone probably knows, Texas is a hotbed of baseball. So first up, we have a gentleman from San Angelo, Texas, Greg Maddox. Then we have a podcast, Greg Maddox. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Then we have a gentleman from Refugio, Texas, Nolan Ryan. And last but certainly not least is a gentleman from Dallas, Texas, Clayton Kershaw. Ooh. Damn. <laughs> yep. So, I'm going to use a cop-out, and I'm going to extend Nolan Ryan because Mets legend Nolan Ryan. I agree. There. Um, World Series champion for the Mets and only the Mets. He didn't win anywhere else, so obviously Mets legend. Mets Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan. <laughs> And then promoting Maddox and then uh, trading Kershaw, even though, like, that's not an indictment on Kershaw. That's more Greg Maddox was real good. (laughs) Yeah, hard to argue with that. I'm trading Ryan because, yeah, as good as he was, I think a lot of his success was just, like, being able to throw insanely hard. A lot more than everyone else because the numbers are great. You know, the strikeouts are crazy and everything, but just so many walks. And, you know, Greg Maddox, no walks. Clayton Kershaw, a little, little, little bit of walks, but. But that's the time. That's the product of. Right, exactly. I do wonder how, like, I don't want to be one of those guys who's like Nolan Ryan, Ryan played against nobody, but I wonder how he would fare now because. That's a lot more common today. Like, maybe not to Nolan Ryan's level, but... Like, <laughs> he would have, like, flamed out at AAA. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Like, he'd be a major leaguer, obviously. But I wonder if he's still Nolan Ryan when everyone faces heat like that all the time. I mean, he did have legendary heat. Uh, uh, it's, so. like, more than normal, right? Like even Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, like... And, like, all sorts of things about, like, how his arm... He... Uh, would have been like one of the early Tommy John guys, but <laughs> his arm That's miraculously true. healed itself. <laughs> he was also a very big proponent of uh, working out, which is not something that pitchers at the time did. He was he yeah. was very into like weightlifting and that kind of stuff, which went against 
the grain at the time. He almost treated it like football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very much his background, and I remember like seeing the clips of him throwing the football through the through the uh, tire and stuff like that. He's such an interesting dude, though. He's almost like more myth than person. A guy like Nolan Ryan, more so than other people. You just hear the name, and there's all that mystique attached. It's like, oh, he threw 104 and all this thing. He pitched for 8 million years and still threw hard. Like, that's so not really a thing that people do even today with modern medicine. No, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> he is, he's the freak. He, the original freak. Yeah, for sure. Plus he beat up Ryan Ventura, so. <laughs> <laughs> Robin, excuse me, Robin Ventura. Unironic Mets legend. <laughs> Well, those are three great pitchers, and so I guess we'll segue this week into discussing the Mets' uh, pitching situation. We'll talk about the rotation first, and then we'll talk about the, the bullpen. So, before everything, before the offseason started, on a scale of, let's say, 1 to 10, how confident were you guys with the Mets' starting rotation? Oh. Got to be pretty low. Uh, three? Yeah. Three, Basically, four. there was... Like, DeGrom will paper, De- paper over a lot of issues, but, you know, he's one dude. It was basically just DeGrom and Peterson that we could have... That we knew for sure. And Matt's. DeGrom and Freyferine, sure. right? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, um, pretty early... In the offseason, Marcus Stroman agreed to the qualifying offer, so definitely raised his confidence levels. Yeah, that helped. Um, I I don't really remember the, the, the timing, exact, you know, chronology of everything, but they traded for Carrasco, they traded for Lucchese, Lucchese, excuse me, and they traded for Yamamoto, and then, obviously, last but not least, they signed Taiwan Walker. So now, assuming that the the rotation is DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Walker, and then one of, I guess, Peterson, Lucchese, or Yamamoto. Yeah, that's what I would assume. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident does that make you guys? I don't want to be too over-aggressive, but probably like an 8, because just like, if one or two guys get hurt, there's still actual major league pitchers to replace them. Like, mm-hmm. like... There's a there's a scenario where the Mets would have like in at the end of the season in October, right? Like Peterson was the number two with Thor being hurt and Stroman still not accepting the qualifying offer yet. Like we didn't know what he was gonna do. And now he might start in the minors. Like that's an incredible amount of pitching depth to get in an off season. Yep. <laughs> and a lot of it was very high end pitching depth. Like yeah. Carrasco they added, he's you know, if not elite, elite adjacent. Um, yeah, I think they did a very good job, at least with the starting pitching depth this offseason. So let's look at DeGrom. Any concerns about DeGrom? No. Uh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Is he he's, too he's good? something else entirely. <laughs> I'm concerned that he won't win another Cy Young Award. That's my basic concern with yeah, him. Yeah, he's going to be fine. All right, so I would assume Carrasco is probably the number two. 
he's averaged about 180 innings or so, you know, for the last couple of years, obviously not included in last season or the season before when he was diagnosed and, and had cancer treatment. I, I don't have any real concerns. <laughs> yeah. He also said that he got the, uh, obviously this is like more important for his real life, but he got the vaccine, which is nice. So shout out him for getting the vaccine because he definitely needs it being a cancer survivor. Uh, Marcus Stroman, he's averaged about 180 innings the last couple of years. I have no concerns that he won't be able to do that. Yeah. Um, now it starts to get a little dicey when we get to the fourth pitcher here, Taiwan Walker. But, I mean, there's no rotation really in baseball that you can go down the line and have no concerns. Yeah. Walker, you know, he's had a lot of injury issues that have, have basically kept him off the field. He's been pretty solid for the most part when he is able to pitch, but I think that over or under, how many innings do you think you'll get out of him? 120. Let me look up his career stuff right now. I think we get under 120 innings from him. You think under? I think so, yeah. Probably. He hasn't done that since 2017. But even if you do, like, the Mets are a pretty... Like, let's say you get 110 from him. By that time, Thor will be back, and you could call up a Peterson if he doesn't make the team out of camp or a Lucas. Exactly, exactly. Like, like the Mets have more than enough enough depth right now that you don't really need him to be a hundred and eighty inning guy. You could afford to have him miss time because by the time you're worried about that stuff, Thor's probably back, and then like you just interchange them, and then by the time Walker's ready to come back again, if it's not a serious serious injury, then that's a that's five guys deep that is really strong. Yep, well, let's talk about some of those depth options. So, obviously, one of Peterson, Lucchese, Yamamoto will make the rotation as the fifth starter, which means that at least one of those two other guys will be available for depth if you figure that maybe Lucchese makes the team as a bullpen arm, which has kind of been talked about a little bit. Or Yamamoto, same thing. I mean, his slider is so good, you could just kind of have him uh, turn into Luke Gregerson or something. So one of those two guys, maybe both of them, will be available for starting depth. Two good guys to have is depth. For um, sure. Free agents that the Mets signed, Jared Eikhoff, Mike Montgomery, Oscar De La Cruz. Um, and then in addition to them, they have a boatload of guys that are already in the system, in the upper minors, that could start. Corey Oswalt, Sam McWilliams, Franklin Killame, Short Reed Foley, Tommy Zapucky, uh, Harold Gonzalez, Tyler McGill, Yanisi Diaz, Tony Debrell. Like, obviously, some of those players are better than others. And, you know, the, the odds that they pitch good or bad are, you know, that's, that's irrelevant as, as much as they can pitch if, if needed to. That's, that's a lot of arms. And like the the problem with the Mets before was those guys would be the seventh guy. <laughs> yes, I mean last season there were times when Harold Gonzalez, nothing against Harold, but Harold was like the sixth or seventh starter, which is kind of concerning. Thomas, is that what you want? 
No, it's not. It's not <laughs> ideal. It's it's not how you win a World Series. Now, uh, the odds of him making any kind of major league debut are quite quite slim yeah. with us. Which shocks in a way, but obviously it's you know very. But good I get, in a way I get too. what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, overall, there's plenty of depth. Oh, and then that's not even taking into consideration, like you were saying before. Noah Syndergaard is yeah. going to be coming back at some point over the summer. And they, put him, one, they put him on the 60, and he's already throwing sliders and fastballs and stuff. So <laughs> that's exactly what you want to see. <laughs> like. <laughs> Hopefully, that means that once those 60 days are up, he'll be good. Like, he'll be ready. That sounds like a Will Pond kind of thing. Like, yeah, all right, you can pitch. Let's start throwing 94 sliders. Yeah. He was <laughs> Nothing thinking. but. I think they said he threw some today or yesterday. I don't remember when the tweet said it, but. Well, definitely good to see. But, yeah, like, maybe in the Mets of yesteryear, they would be counting on Syndergaard to come back at 100% efficiency, you know, as soon as possible and really be counting on those innings and, and numbers and everything. Honestly, they might not have put him on the 60. Yeah, that's a good point. They might have, like, done some dumb shit, put him on the 15 and uh, tried no, to get him back earlier. If put him on the 60, there's no chance he'll be back. <laughs> yeah. But with these Mets... We don't even need to... Anything that Syndergaard gives us will be gravy on top. For sure. Now, it's just as good as a trade. Yeah. <laughs> it's that big summer acquisition. Now the bullpen. Um, are you as hyped for the bullpen as you are the rotation? I'm worried about the pen. Yes, same. Um... So I think it's pretty clear Sandy doesn't think the bullpen is uh, something you can evaluate, which I understand, but I also don't think he gave the team good enough bullets to figure it out, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know, Familia's the seventh inning guy right now. That's that's not good. <laughs> no. he's, he's not good anymore. Yeah. That's all right. If he's not good, then we could have Dylan Batanza's pitch, right? Exactly. It's oh no, <laughs> like Sam McWilliams might make the team as a bullpen arm because I think that's what he's been working as. He's been yep. working as a reliever, and like if his stuff plays up in the pen, then yeah, sure. But like you could have signed other guys, and May is going to be really good. Like he's just a good pitcher. Yeah, and... I mean Edwin Diaz. I have no real concerns. I oh mean, yeah, I, it's it's a closer. I, he's and just gonna be what he is, yeah. right? I kind of, I mean, I kind of do have concerns, but I'm not concerned about replacing him, good or bad. He is the closer. He's gonna pitch. It is what it is. We're stuck with him regardless, so it's not worth losing any kind of sleepover. Uh, Trevor May, I, that's that's a positive move. It's good pitcher, cool. Um. But then, yeah, it kind of gets dicey, especially now that Lugo is not going to be with the team immediately. I mean, even with Lugo, I wanted them to sign another reliever. Right. Like, I mean, with, with Lugo, the, it, this, there was still plenty of solid bullpen arms available, even as recently as like a week or two ago. I mean, Shane Green is still available. Right. Yeah. And there's still some guys. Okay, yeah. okay exactly. So 
but yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of uh, a weak, scary bullpen. Much like catcher, I don't really, like, even with signing Caleb Joseph, I don't really understand what they are doing with the catcher depth. And I don't really understand what they're doing with the reliever depth. It's not what I would do, basically, is the long and short of <laughs> how they're handling the bullpen. Just because, like, you could still think that relievers are random and sign better chances to of guys to be good. Like, well, maybe Tommy Hunter enough, is still good. Like, yeah, and they're, they're cheap enough, like, the... the you know, uh, I don't want to say low end, but like the middle tier. Yes. You could sign like four of them for $10 million. Like, and then like two of them hit and bam. Yeah, exactly. And then you don't, you're, you're spreading risk essentially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many different guys that are, are in contention for the, for a bullpen role right now. I don't want to like, go over every single one, but um, are there any guys that you are more excited about than others, or I don't know if that's a good way of putting it, but or you think that, you know, will, guys that you think will have kind of important roles in the bullpen, you know, that we might not see right now? Um... Honestly, like I, I just mentioned him, but I think McWilliams could actually be a big part of the bullpen if the stuff is actually played up to what the reports were of the mm. uh, in the uh, alternate site. Because like if his stuff is with like the high nineties and a good breaking ball, then he might be the third best reliever in the pen right now <laughs> without Lugo, which is a different problem on its own. Like don't get me wrong, that's probably not a good thing unless he's actually really good, but. Like, you would like someone more established to be that, but that's possible. Like, a guy like Tommy Hunter, getting him on a minor league deal is a really interesting one because, like, he, he's been a good reliever for a while now, even though he's kind of like a failed starter type thing, and that's kind of what people think of him as, but he's been a good reliever. And he lost a bit of velo. If he gets it back, then he could be interesting. But it's kind of like all dart throws. Like, I wouldn't be surprised about anything. Yeah. With the bullpen. I know his name hasn't really, and I and obviously I haven't really followed his career at all. But Aradis Viscaino. Like oh I was yeah, looking he, at his, I forgot about him. His number, <laughs> yeah, like he seems to really have gotten looked over, and his numbers, even as recently as like 2019, are not bad at all. And he's just hurt, right? Like I believe so, and that's what I'm saying. Like I haven't really followed, so I don't know if like you know, well, his fastball is you know max at 85. Like that would obviously be problematic, but. That seems like a, a pretty good under the radar signing. Yeah. And he has lots of experience. He's been good pretty recently. Hopefully that works out. Another guy I think could be exciting. We've talked about this ad nauseum on the on our show, Thomas Zapucky in the bullpen. Um the two guys that they got from Toronto that are still in the system, Sean Reed, yeah, Sean Reed Foley, Yenisi Diaz. They, I think they both fit the mold as, uh, you know, relievers more so than starters. Um, Riley Gilliam, who is in the system, he could in theory have a role. 
So there are just just like there are plenty of options with the starting rotation. There are a lot of options that the Mets have for the bullpen, but they are not um, as high tier. <laughs> I think that's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> they they might be able to cobble together like a fine bullpen, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is what like the Mets are in it in the tra- at the trade deadline and they kind of just trade for a bunch of relievers. Like I wouldn't be surprised if that's what ends up happening. NJ Bruce. Yes. Oh, wait. You, you know, Sam is furious. And, he went to the Todd Razor. <laughs> Sandy's losing it at camp right now, knowing that Jay Bruce is in pinstripes. Jay Bruce is on another team. And not only another team, the other team in New York. Yes. He's going to have to share head back page headlines with Jay Bruce. He's in the dugout right now, smashing things, smashing <laughs> the water cooler with the bat. It's it's the meme of Wolverine in the bed with the picture frame. <laughs> Sandy Alderson and Jay Bruce. That that seems more Sandy. I can't I can't really see Sandy displaying too much emotion, especially anger emotion. <laughs> but sadness, you know, uh, I could I could see that. I could see Sandy doing his Wolverine Jean Grey thing. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of like going to be a random bullpen that they that they're going to figure out. At the deadline, kind of like the Nationals when they won. Like, that bullpen was terrible. And then they just traded for a good one. And then they won. So, Yeah, I mean, if the offense is clicking on all cylinders and the pitching, the starting rotation is as good as it can be, I mean, the bullpen really just becomes a secondary thing. Yeah. Those two things. I mean, that, that's asking a lot, obviously, but... I mean, who was in the who was in the twenty who was in the two thousand and six Mets bullpen besides Billy Wagner, Duana Sanchez? Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Jose Lima pitched a little bit as a starter, but I think maybe also as a reliever. Alvin Perez, maybe. I mean, look at the twenty fifteen bullpen. It wasn't exactly like they traded for Clippard and. Like, yeah, I mean, you, you just need a team that's good. Yeah. And maybe a reliever or two that are dependable and, you know, you uncover a hot hand every now and then and mm-hmm. you just go with it. Maybe not the best strategy, but it, it's a strategy that works. It's certainly the one we're going with, so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well accept it. So anyway. Um, last week we were talking about the Mets' outfield depth and how it really isn't in the best shape. Uh, so this week we're going to look at the infield and compare to uh, how the Mets' outfield looked. So we'll just go position by position. First base, I think it's looking pretty good. We got, obviously, Pete Alonso is the incumbent. He didn't really have the best season last year, but he was still... Um, Above average, all things considered. Whoa. Sorry about that. As I've gotten away from Pete's season, I I think I was a little too harsh on him last year. Just because it was, like, not his rookie year, but... You being too harsh and pessimistic? <laughs> no. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Me, Mr. 75% chance Lindor gets signed after they traded every... Buddy, project. you've been at, like, 0% for the past month. Don't lie. I, I've said 75% in uh-huh. There's actual proof of the 75%, but yes, me, Mr. Pessimistic. But he was probably, it was an ugly kind of okay season, but. 
Yeah, it wasn't his. It wasn't his rookie year. If you add a month of like his like like average performance from the previous mm-hmm. year, yeah. his stats are like exactly there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's just gonna look a little uglier than we would like sometimes because yeah. of yeah. His... No, I think he was pressing big time for most of the year. Um, but a guy like that when he gets hot for a couple of weeks. Can do a lot of things. And yes, this is can. it's anecdotal, but when I feel like when he misses, it just looks like he's never held a baseball bat before. Like when he, he takes some ugly bats. swings. <laughs> like 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 when he's really off his game and it's just fishing, it's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, like it's kinda jarring sometimes, but you just it's just noise really. You know who yeah. else was like that a little bit, but despite really being really good, I think is Daniel Murphy. Oh yeah. Do things and you'd be like have you ever run in a straight line <laughs> before? Have you picked up a baseball? If there's one thing Daniel Murphy knows, it's being straight. So. Oh. <laughs> oh no. But uh, yeah, so uh, I think everything is good with Pete, and if Pete isn't able to play for whatever reason, there's still a ton of options that are going to be at the major league level and would be pretty good options. Tom Smith, obviously, is the number one option to play first, and he ain't too bad himself. J.D. Davis, he has a little bit of experience at first. Uh, assuming Jose Martinez makes the major league roster, he does too. So plenty of options at first base, which is good because the Mets pretty much have nothing in the minor leagues. Good thing everyone's like 24. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Look, if you get to the, if you're at that point on the depth chart where you need uh, a minor league first baseman given this roster, uh, you're screwed anyway. Yeah, like you might as well just re-sign Tebow and put him at first because <laughs> it'll help downplay his arm. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, basically, the best minor league in-house options that the Mets have at first would be Patrick Mazaika, David Thompson, or Jeremy Vasquez, and Ooh. yeah. You're not. That's not it. Uh, we'll move over to third base, the opposite side of the diamond now, and it's very similar to first. There's a lots of vers- lots of versatility at the major league roster already. You have J.D. Davis as the incumbent, and then if he can't play, the Mets have Jeff McNeil, the Mets have Louis Guillorme, they have Jonathan VR. Um, so hopefully the Mets don't need to dip into the minors to cover third base because same thing there are not really too many good options right now yeah there's more options for third base but they're far away yeah i was gonna say so um i guess we could talk about like vientos and batty and how they would play into this because who knows where they're going to get assigned and i feel like somebody like vientos who probably has been around a little while could get sent to, you know, double A AA or triple A. Or not triple A, but like double A, and then you're just a step away, like a good month away from the you know, doorstep of of the big leagues. So That'd be yeah. pretty wild. In that a year or happen. two in a year or two, either one of them are definitely gonna be options. Yes. Ho- hopefully both. Hopefully they're both like going going off and the Mets have to make a big decision. But right now, I mean the Mets you know, opening day, if somehow all these guys got abducted by aliens and no one else was around to, to play first base. Yeah, not, have, not what you'd be comfortable with. No, you can have third starting third baseman, Will Toffey, or Michael Paez. That's when you put Pete at third. And yeah, that's when you say screw defense. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
Give him the old Freddie Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of him, I guess let's go over to the middle infield now. Second and, and short, you have Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor going to be getting the bulk of the playing time. Um, and if they can't, really it's the same options as third base. You have Luis Guillorme, you have Jonathan Villar, and then the minors. It's a couple more guys in addition to... Uh, the the Michael Piaz is there's Louis Carpio could play at second Jake Hager uh, who they signed Wilfredo Tovar who they recently re-signed he could play short so there's I some... forgot Peraza sitting around bouncing around down there too right now right Ooh, yeah mm-hmm. I forgot about him yep same um there yeah there are some options in in the middle infield um in theory Next year, Robinson Cano might be back. I don't really know how they're going to be, what they're going to be doing there, but maybe he could. plays second and McNeil plays third, and JD becomes the bench guy. Like yeah, a, who knows? And then also next year, Ronnie Mauricio might also be ready. So yeah. we're all we're all of the opinion that Carlos Cortez is not a real uh, does shouldn't factor into this significantly. You bite uh, your tongue, Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> That's friend of the podcast. Carlos <laughs> Cortez. Cortez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because honestly, like, like no, no, I, I could mean, see honestly, him. You'd have to hit a ton. Yeah, yeah. you'd have to hit. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have seen um, prospect lists from other places that laud him. Uh, I know that I've seen him extensively in Brooklyn and Staten Island. You know, two years ago, nothing that I saw from him looked good. Bat or defense. I've heard the same from other people that I trust their opinions who also saw him a lot throughout the New York Penn League. So I don't think that, you know, a couple of stray quotes here and there from anonymous sources and, you know, mashing up the Australian Baseball League is really anything. He could hit his way into this conversation. but But nothing we've seen prior, you know, warrants him to be in this conversation at this point in time yeah i would like to prove that first like if if he comes back and is like oh i could hit now then hell yeah i'll talk about him you know like i just don't see it yet right if he he comes back all of a sudden he can hit a double a you know yeah Yeah. he's Mm -hmm. never played above advanced a so yeah and now finally Less, but certainly not least, is the catching situation. And that was a major need that the Mets needed to address. And they did it, I think, by by the best way possible, signing McCann. You wouldn't have signed Riamuto? No, because I think McCann gives you basically 80% of what Riamuto is without any of the costs. You know, draft cost or longer-term contract, more annual money. Not that that really matters to me, but... yeah. I'm pretty sure the Mets also did that for that did this for that exact reason. I mean, long term catcher contract scary. Mm-hmm. I will say that Real Muto like didn't sign for nearly as much as I thought he was going to. No. And no. Um, Lucas, do you know where the the Mets are payroll wise relative to the luxury tax? Twenty million ish below. Yeah, they were at like one ninety with the Walker signing. Yeah, they, they finagled some stuff with. Uh, I will not be able to hear Taiwan Walker and not think Walker Lockett. Oh, no. That's unfortunate for you. I know. 
give me a couple of games and I'll get the, those those cursed images out of my head. Mm-hmm. I also wonder mm-hmm. if they waited for Real Muto if something like Lindor doesn't happen because they have to wait for like, yeah that, that's what what Rio Muto's price would have been because who knows maybe it goes up fifty. 60 million if they're in a bidding war instead of them just the Phillies kind of just bidding against themselves I think at that point. Right, I don't think the point. like the real Muto cost less than we expected because the only suitor was the Phillies. Yeah. Because the Mets blinked and signed McCann. If you're in a bidding war with the Phillies for real Muto, I don't think they're blinking and signing McCann and giving you the easy contract. So I think the choice was give real Muto 6-150 or whatever which I don't think I would have wanted to do, or sign McCann and watch Real Muto sign for less than that, but he was never going to sign for that smaller contract with the Mets. And then, as we're about to discuss, you couldn't really not sign either because there's a non there's a non zero chance you don't sign McCann. He goes to the Angels because I think was that was the second yep. team. Yep. And then you miss out on Real Muto anyway, and then you're just totally screwed. <laughs> like. They they could not have not signed a catcher by any stretch. They needed to come away with one of them. Yeah, they still don't have enough catchers. <laughs> oh yes, I agree with that. Um, so, well, I think McCann has averaged like one hundred and ten, hundred and twenty games, whatever the last couple of he's, years. He's never played more than one eighteen. Okay, so yeah, so they're gonna need their secondary catcher for at least fifty games or so. Right now, that's Tomas Nito. Um, how comfortable are you with 40 games, 50 games of Tomas Nito? Fine. Um, I, yeah, I, I would have signed another one, but I'm not going to be like, this is a disaster. <laughs> you know, like, I, I would have liked a, like a Kurt Casale or something to like really make it a 1A, 1B instead of it being a starter and a backup because I'm a little worried that Nito just can't hit, even though like that week aside last year. But he also had LASIK, so who knows? Maybe the LASIK fixed him too. That is true. The unfortunate thing was... Go ahead, Ken. I, no, I just think he's a good enough defensive catcher where I'm, yes. I'm fine with, you know, his offensive shortcomings. Yep. Now, also out of options. Oh, he would exactly. be gone. Yes, he would yeah. have been gone. If someone would have played. If someone got Ali Sanchez, they're going to take now, what would be a real disaster is if, for whatever reason, McCann can't play his 120 games or so. Then all of a sudden, you're bumping Tomas Nito up in the depth chart, and there is, like we said, really nobody underneath him. Mets traded away Ali Sanchez for some cash, and Patrick Mazeka, I, I don't even want to call him a catcher, because, I mean, last time we had a season, he played more games at first base than he did at, at catcher, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm know, truly... That's, that's not a catcher. I'm truly surprised at how they handled the third catcher spot. There's still a ton of, of outfield... Uh, outfielders. There's still a ton of free agents out there, so, I mean, you know, they could sign the Rene Rivera, so any of any of those type players, you know, tomorrow, and I think we'd all be like, okay, that's a... Good, solid third catcher move. Yes. But, you know, literally spring training is... <laughs> I mean, it's the actual games are starting next week. I mean... A couple of days from so now, so... The position we're talking about has reported. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're, they're there. So. It's, it's a pretty important position. 
it's also like again with McCann, like at least with Rio Muto, I wouldn't I would have been a little more open to just Nito and no one else because he's played a lot. He's been an Iron Man. He like outside of the hip injury, he's kind of never been hurt. So like McCann's never been a starter, like a full time everyday catcher. So and he's thirty now. So can he physically handle that? Maybe even that. Maybe this is another thing where because he hasn't been a full time catcher until he's thirty, that he's more able to physically handle that. But I don't know the answers to that now. You know. Yeah. Well, if he did, then. You'd probably be making a lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> Are you making a lot of money? Mm. I work at I work in the New York City school system, so no. <laughs> <laughs> well, teachers should be making more money. You think you're not a teacher exactly, but teacher I'm, anyone I'm a teacher anyone, adjacent, so yes. <laughs> anyone working with kids, anyone working any kind of public sector job should be making more money. Except for cops, a cab. All right, and let's wrap things up this week with the Will Ponry of the week. And I think that this this might have been the easiest one that I've ever done in the, in the short time that we've been doing this segment. Uh goes to one man and one man only, Seattle Mariners CEO Kevin and Mather. <laughs> <laughs> for, for anybody that's unaware of what he did, you just need a refresher um, since it's been a, you know, a week or so and he touched so many different points. In, in just one speech, he basically admitted to service dog manipulation. He insulted a bunch of prospects. He insulted a bunch of players. You know, he called guys stupid, boring, overpaid, loud, arrogant, probably some other things too. So, I mean, if he threw in a throwaway quote there about unwed mothers, then that would have been <laughs> an exact Fred or Jeff Wilpon, you know, statement. So... What the hell, man? <laughs> like, in my personal life, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the, the outlier here, but in my personal life, I feel like it's not that difficult to not put my foot in my mouth when I don't need to. <laughs> so, I, I often do, but, um, not, not on this scale ever. <laughs> right, yeah, and like, I feel when I do kind of scrub like that, it is not monumental. Like, I've never said anything or multiple things that would have definitely cost me my job or my status, my, my entire career path. Like, so as I like read about all this stuff, I was shocked that the Wilpons did not do this. Like, <laughs> like just the whole thing of it is so ridiculous. Like, he did it with the breakfast rotary club or whatever it was. And it was like, he's just saying this stuff unprompted. Like, yeah, but the, like he, so, he, he, he was just like, yeah, this is what we're doing and just bragging about it. And I was like, what is happening when I was reading the transcript? Thomas, I want to, I want to call a, um, a dichotomy to, um, an event we were both at, which is, um, do you remember city field? BP night, the, yes. the only one they had with Brody Vedwagon in. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember how like tight lipped he made sure everybody who, who attended that was going to be? Oh yes. He said probably three or four times, "This is all off the record." Yeah, he might as well have had and a shirt that said, "This is off the record" on it. Yes, that would answer all of our questions about whether yes. Um, <laughs> and Kevin Mathers just here <laughs> spilling industry secrets. And not only that, when you're on Zoom, 
you could see when it's getting recorded. <laughs> so he didn't notice it because it says it on the bottom. Like there's a little red button. And then it'll just be like recording. And when it's recording, it shows up red. And when it's not recording, it's it's gray. So if he just looked down at his screen for like one second, he would have realized that he's just outing himself. But he didn't. Yeah, well, I mean, he's fired now. I uh, don't think he'll ever get a job in baseball again, but who knows? He doesn't need to. He's um, a part owner of the Mariners. No, all right, well. So. He also confirmed a lot of things that people basically knew, but, like, now it's in. It's literally on the record that teams think like this. <laughs> oh, Jared Kelnick is going to get big paid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> out of this. <laughs> well, apparently he's pretty arrogant, so. Well, actually, that is I I can say 100% on the record, off the record, whatever. I mean, nobody, no one's listening, so I guess it doesn't matter. He is a complete dick, Jared Kalanick. So <laughs> there is that. But that has neither nothing to do with you know that he is also a really good baseball player. So that is what it is. I feel like Scott Boris may finally take. Uh... <laughs> The service time system down. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, oh. good. That's entirely possible here. It'll be interesting to see, yeah, any kind of like ramifications from all this going forward with with other people's, you know, situations. And with the CBA coming up. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Worst possible time this asshole could have been saying all this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever. You can send us a, uh, an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Sleiper. Lucas, L. Vlahos343. Ken is at Ken Levin91. And Thomas is at ZedMetSeason, SZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with some some spring training updates. So very exciting. Woo. So until then, love the Mets. Love